Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. You get the best insight and analysis on all the issues and subjects that you want to debate in world football. As ever, the transfer guru Duncan Castles joins me for this Wednesday edition of the podcast, which of course is your questions answered. However, before we get on to those questions, Duncan, as always, has some breaking news on the future of Danny Alves. Duncan, uh, a man who's just been named player of the tournament at the Copa America, someone as well who is the ultimate professional, um, despite the fact he does like a party, um, but always doesn't get like in the way of his career. So where, where do we think he might be heading? Yeah, one of... The top players in world football. I think he is the most um, titled footballer uh, currently serving in the game in terms of league titles. I think he's got nine of those. Champions League and various other tournaments just added the Copa America, as you say, leading um, Brazil to that title. Uh, In typical Dani Alves style, as he was um, expecting to be staying at Paris Saint-Germain for a third season, had a contract offer from them. Um, which he was waiting um, to sign. Then had the offer withdrawn uh, when the new sporting director, Leonardo, came in. Um, probably not coincidence that uh, his friend uh, Neymar uh, is leaving the club or trying to leave the club. And, and as you've seen um, this week, uh, with that same Leonardo confirming our story from uh, a couple of months ago that Paris Saint-Germain were ready to sell the player this summer. But Danny... Uh, responding to a situation where he is without a club um, and in t- trying to ensure that he gets the best option possible has uh, played the sensationally good Copa America and seen offers come in for his services as a result of that. His stated aim is to play in the World Cup uh, coming up in Qatar um, because he wants to win a World Cup with Brazil um, before he retires from football. He'd be 39 at that stage. Um, but I think if there's any player who's capable of, of carrying on um, to that age, aside from Cristiano Ronaldo, it is um, Dani Alves. And uh, as part of that aim to play at the World Cup, he wants to be at a top-level club. I mean, he said in an interview um In Brazil, I have to be at a competitive team that arrives at the end of the season and fights for big things. So he's narrowing down his options there. We told you um, a couple of weeks ago that there'd been a conversation with Barcelona as to whether um, he would be prepared to go back there um, if Barcelona have a berth at right back. And we've, We've also told you that Barcelona are looking um, at the possibility of including Nelson Semedo in a deal for Antoine Griezmann. Um, Semedo is 
open to leaving the club to get more football. If he leaves, uh, Barcelona would be able to share the right-back spot between Dani Alves and Sergio Roberto. So that's one option for him. But no, as far as I understand, he doesn't have a formal contract offer from Barcelona yet. I'm told he also has uh, major clubs interested in him in Italy. Um, he definitely has the option to uh, return to Brazil and play at one of the top clubs there for the next few seasons. But if he's going to stay in Europe, he has a long-held ambition to play in the Premier League. Um, and I understand that there's been contact with Tottenham Hotspur um, about the possibility of Danny moving there um, in what would seem quite a strange addition for Tottenham, given uh, that this is a club that's focused on younger players, uh, players whose value will increase, um, players they can get on uh, reasonably cheap salaries. Um, but bear in mind that um, Tottenham are looking um, to change things because of Maurizio Pochettino um, for his demands to take the club to another level. This summer, they've already uh, put a record transfer fee down for uh, Tanguy Ndombele from Olympic Lyon. They have uh, other significant targets in mind. They've made a big bid for Giovanni Lo Celso at Real Betis, but not met um, that club's asking price as yet. Um, they are also trying to shift players out. And two of the players who are informally being placed on the market are Kieran Trippier and Serge Aurier, both right-backs. Um, they have a young right back in their squad, but if they were to move both of those players, you could see them needing an experienced figure there. there. You then suddenly, because of PSG's decision, have the option to recruit one of the best players in European football for the position, um, a player who has um, a record of leadership, of, uh, of being a, a symbol within a dressing room, of a uh, of pushing teams onward to achieve things. Of if you're in Tottenham situation where you haven't actually won a club trophy under your manager, even have a manager who's not won a, a club trophy, to have a, a proven winner with the experience of getting clubs over the line to titles is clearly something that would be of appeal um, and could be done, I would say, relatively cheaply. Um, in that there's no transfer fee involved. You could probably be looking for a uh, contract which allowed them to get to the World Cup. Um, so probably being structured as a two-year deal with a, with a one-year option, um, assuming he meets certain performance targets during his first two years at the club. Um, I'm not saying this deal is going to happen, but I'm saying that it is an option that's being discussed and that um, Tottenham are in uh, the chase to secure a kind of player that um, I think we've not seen um, at that area of London for, for a good long length of time. It doesn't surprise me, Duncan, because um, <clears throat> Pochettino is someone who I know has admired Dani Alves throughout his what, 20 years uh, in, in professional game. He's, as I said, the model professional. Yes, he's got that like Brazilian sort of party little thing about him, but he doesn't overdo it, unlike his friend Amar. Um, he's a player, I think, who would be exceptional in terms of an addition to the Premier League, especially at a progressive club like Tottenham. And while I agree with you that he doesn't necessarily um, tick all the boxes for what Spurs are doing in the transfer market right now, I think sometimes you've got to mix it up a bit 
And, and Alves is someone who brings those leadership qualities that you spoke about, but also um, brings an aura with him into the dressing room where he walks in there and you know he's a serial winner, uh, which is something obviously Tottenham Hotspur lack. Uh, so bringing someone like Danny Alves in to the dressing room and saying, okay, this guy is going to be you know an integral part of our uh, team in the season or two, I think would be a massive boost for that squad because they would look up to him, albeit he's only about five foot, what, seven? <laughs> so they'd look up to him in a certain way if he stood up on the benches. Um, uh, but I think that he would be a huge addition. I'd love to see him play in the Premier League. One of my favourite players um, he has been over the years. So um, I agree with you. I think it's a possibility. I think there's got to be the case that other Premier League teams, given um, Alves's availability, would be looking at that as well. Um, but uh, Tottenham, I think, would be a good fit. I think uh, it's he came closest to signing for Manchester City. He had a deal to go to Manchester City as one of those fullbacks, many fullbacks that Pep Guardiola wanted to sign in one season. We told you the story before of how uh, he was getting married, and uh, and PSG came in on the day of his marriage and convinced him to uh, turn his back on what was an unsigned contract. What, what, Convinced his ex-wife, Duncan, as as we know, who's his his agent. This, this is true. Represented by his <laughs> so on the day of his marriage to his next wife, they convinced his ex-wife <laughs> to present <laughs> an offer. <laughs> to present an offer and uh, and got their Brazilian players to call Danny and persuade him to go to Paris uh, with Neymar. Um, Manchester City missed out because they didn't a formally completed deal they basically felt that deal was in the bag and they left it left it left it and gave Paris Saint-Germain the opportunity to step in there and interestingly at that time the plan for Danny would be similar to the kind of thing that that, that would work for Tottenham here in that Guardiola wasn't expecting Danny Alves to play every game what he sold to him was a project in which he played the important games so the big Premier League matches um, the Champions League matches and would be sharing the position uh, with Kyle Walker. Uh, with, uh, with Tottenham, uh, you, you would see Kyle Walker-Peters um, sharing the position with Danny Alves. So Danny wouldn't be expected to play every single game of a Premier League season, but you would use him for the important matches when, uh, when his quality was really needed and when his experience mattered the most and allow the younger um, fullback in this case to, uh, to develop alongside him. And, and, you know, in principle, you could improve the development path of Kyle Walker-Peters by having a, a player of that stature uh, to learn from and, and, and share the position with. So there, there are lots of um, elements to it which, which could make it work. Um, I think the more important thing here will be whether um, Tottenham can shift uh, the players they need out of the team to, to make space in the squad and to uh, release the salary to, to bring a, a player like Danny in and whether and the degree of offer that comes from, um, for, from those other clubs, uh, Barcelona, if, one, if a formal offer comes or one of the Serie A clubs that are interested in him, um, to, to bring him back to Italy where he played for Juventus previously. I think the salary could still be a stumbling block. We know that Spurs have a, 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 sort of trans, a salary ceiling which they don't like to go through for anyone, including Captain Harry Kane. And obviously, Dani Alves uh, is earning a huge amount of money. In fact, much more than Harry Kane 
uh, is at Tottenham when he was at Paris Saint-Germain. So that would be interesting to see how they try to structure those payments in order to not cause disruption in their own dressing room. To get on to answering your questions, we go from one Danny to another, and that's Danny Sabalos. And Jack Yates, who's at Jack underscore Yates, has asked a question, Duncan, that Mercy Pochettino has never accepted incoming loan players during his time at Spurs. It doesn't fit his philosophy, making Sabalos unlikely unless there's an obvious option to buy in the contract being talked about. Now, Sabalos, as we know, has been um, marketed to quite a few um, clubs, not just in England, um, but certainly um, is someone who Zinedine Zidane has made it clear does not see his future uh, being at Real Madrid. But Duncan, you got some interesting information regarding another familial connection in terms of agents, uh, having just spoken about Dani Alves' ex-wife um, and how that might influence this particular move. Yes, look, there is a lot of interest in Dani Sabalos um, across Europe at present because um, he's a very talented player and was exceptional in the Euro Under-21. So I was um, talking to someone today who watched him play against Italy in that tournament and he said uh, he basically ran the match. He, he was on a different level. He could... Um, it, it looked as though he could do whatever he liked in midfield. Um, and that's, you know, Italy under-21s, Spain under-21s, that's a very high-level um, international match at, at that age range. So um, because he has been placed on the market, in a sense, um, Zinedine Zidane has made it clear that he doesn't see him as being part of his squad for next season. Uh, there are clubs trying to take advantage of that and, and would would be interested in signing the player. Um, I believe Tottenham are amongst those clubs. He's certainly in the category of player that uh, they like to recruit and he's the type of midfielder uh, that they are adding to their squad. And that has been, as we, we told you some time ago in the podcast, that's been Maurizio Pochettino's, one of his principal aims for this season is to get more technical quality and speed in his midfield. He feels that uh, his team lacked that uh, last season and that is going to be a, a major difference in, in taking them up to the level where they can properly compete for a Premier League title um, so Zidane wants him out uh, Florentino Perez however does not uh, and th the reason or quite possibly a reason for this is that, um, his, that Danny Sobalas is represented by Florentino Perez's son um, so you can see there's a kind of a tug of war going on within uh, Madrid at the moment, which is, has been um, bubbling under the surface and, and, and coming over the surface for, for some time since Zidane's return to the club and the promises that were made to him that he could control uh, a good chunk of the uh, transfer budget for the summer and basically shape the way that the squad was. Um, I think the conclusion from that will be my expectation will be that Sabalos will not be sold in this window. Uh, far more likely is that uh, a, a loan deal is arranged with a club with, with a significant loan fee, um, which allows Sabalos to develop uh, and play the games he wants to play. Because Sabalos himself has said he, he, he sees this coming season as one where he wants to be in a first team. He wants to be starting over 40 games for a first team. Um, clearly, that's going to be very difficult for him to achieve when Zidane has decided he's not 
uh, essential part of his planning and he doesn't even want him in the squad. Therefore, find a good club to loan him to and uh, and see where things stand with Sudan in a year's time. See if uh, a year of, of Sabalas playing and, and impressing um, is enough to convince Sudan to bring him back to the club or, or perhaps Sudan's um, first full season back as Madrid manager doesn't go so well and there's a, another um, coach in place for the coming season. Of course, we did reveal uh, for you guys uh, on the Monday podcast this week that Sabalos was part of a speculative offer to Manchester United uh, from Real Madrid um, plus cash uh, for Paul Pogba and uh, that was rejected. Now, it's not to say that Sabalos is not a player who Manchester United would like, but it certainly is the case that um, we think that Manchester United and we believe uh, want the cash in order to buy a probably a new marquee signing um, uh, as well as to um, indemnify the funds that they've already spent. But I think, Duncan, it's interesting that Real Madrid are by far and away the biggest spenders already in this transfer window with probably a lot more to come. Now, we have had a question from our old friend KJ6 um, who has asked, do you think that Neymar, if he had an option, and that is obviously a caveat, would rather join Real Madrid instead of having to swallow his pride and go back to Barcelona? And is Florentino Perez regretting the purchase of Hazard now that Neymar has become available? Well, we talked about um, Neymar's uh, plan to get out of Paris Saint-Germain and get back to La Liga as early as uh, February. And at the time, um, the briefing I had was that Madrid were uh, the more likely buyers and that uh, Neymar was very much in encouraging them in that pursuit. Obviously, what has changed since then is Zidane has returned as coach. And uh, Zidane has, as we've told you in the podcast, prioritised uh, Ed Nazard and Paul Pogba as his signings. Um, I think for sure, from Florentino Perez's perspective, there's still a desire to have Neymar at Real Madrid. Um, I think a, a big part of it is that it's the... Um, it's almost a forbidden fruit for him. It's the, the player that he he, sh he feels he should have signed when he was at Santos, um, the deal famously falling apart and him losing the player to Barcelona. Um, he's talked uh, many times uh, in, in a way that would encourage Neymar to come to Madrid, uh, talking after a, a Ballon d'Or ceremony that uh, the player uh, to the media saying that the player's chances of winning the Ballon d'Or himself would be greatly improved if de if he became a Madrid player. Um, there's been work behind the scenes on that um, almost almost the entire time he's been in European football. Uh, but, uh, but it's never actually um, come to uh, fruition. So... Um, I think yes, to answer the listener's question, there's, there will be a, a, an element of regret that he doesn't have Neymar. I am told that they're they're carefully monitoring the situation with Barcelona. They're aware that, um, that there are major financial difficulties involved in Barcelona taking both Griezmann and Neymar in one summer. But also, I, I've been briefed that they have to be very careful in terms of anything they do with Neymar in the sense that they don't want to be seen to be bidding 
at the same time as he as Barcelona are trying to bring him back uh, because were they to be seen to bid and uh, Neymar then choose to, to go to Barcelona for a second time when they go head to head with each other um, as he did uh, when he first came from Brazil then that would be more embarrassing than, than anything else uh, to the club. It certainly would be an intriguing situation Duncan if um, Madrid were to enter uh, the race for Neymar, as it were. Seems unlikely. Um, they bought Hazard uh, for £130 million, And the fact that Neymar seems, in all um, reality, to prefer a move back to uh, the camp now to resurrect what has become a bit of a shambles in terms of his career and personal life, um, that a move to Madrid would be unlikely. However... As we know, generally speaking, that you know you can't rule anything out because, uh, as we talked about in Monday's podcast, Barcelona are currently um, having a strange old time with regards to the negotiation process for Antoine Griezmann from Atletico Madrid, who you would have thought would be someone who, well, let's face it, he kind of plays Neymar's position to a certain extent and is there room for Neymar and for Griezmann at Barcelona? Certainly, of course, Leon Messi thinks there is. Um, it certainly would be a familiar front line if that were the case, that they were to recruit both. Um, however, I, I think there's a very big and serious question about anyone willing to pay um, over 200 million euros for Neymar and then, of course, the salary demands as well. Um, and that's something we will return to. Now, we have a very interesting question, Duncan, I think, from Anthony O.C., who's at Affirmation 93. And he has asked us, I have been seeing more rumours of discontent regarding the, inverted commas, foreign contingent at Manchester United and their views on how they are being treated, specifically in comparison to the British players. I recall the revered Mr. Castles making similar claims a couple of months ago or so. Any updates? Well, no particular updates in the sense that they've been on a holiday for most of the summer. They've only just come back. They're back now, uh, though. They are just back. Coming back to a, a new training regime with a lot of changes um, to the backroom staff, um, a lot of uh, changes to the, the fitness and sports science specialists, um, which is probably not surprising since um, Billy Gunnar Solskjaer's um, standard explanation for why uh, results fell off a cliff in the last two months of the season was that the players weren't fit enough um, and that that uh, had to be resolved and that you would see a different Manchester United, um, a different quality of performance from the squad once he'd had the opportunity to put them through a pre-season. Um, it's right that uh, there appears to be a split between the, the foreign players and uh, the British players in the perception of Solskjaer. Um, there have been grumblings about the, the style of training, um, that it's not uh, very modern uh, and that it's um, a, a British uh, style of training and management uh, and grumblings about the quality of, of the, the coaching. Uh, again, uh, not, not very modern, not particularly inspired um, were um, the, the words coming out of the camp. 
Um, and I think Solskjaer faces a, a very difficult challenge in um, turning that squad around and getting them to uh, perform in the, in the way he wants because he, he obviously did an exceptional job coming in um, of, uh, of getting a, a huge step up in the improvement in, of their performances and the results in a record uh, sequence of, of wins uh, by telling the players how good he thought they were and, um, and changing the atmosphere from what had become a very negative atmosphere um, and a dissatisfied group of players working um, for Jose Mourinho. But you know, the, the word you get from within Manchester United is that only lasted for so long. There came a point where the results kind of returned to the mean. Um, and uh, games that uh, Manchester United were winning when they probably didn't deserve to win were being lost or drawn. And, uh, and the players started to lose a bit of faith and Solskjaer started to um, come down harder on the players in terms of their performances, as most managers do when things don't go right. And, uh, and then hit the wall, which um, is fairly typical in modern Premier League football of once you start criticising the players, you've got to do some other things to, to get them uh, to respond. So we'll, we'll see how he do, does this summer. Um, and we'll see which of those players are left. Because the, the other problem here is he's gone on a pre-season tour with just two new additions to the squad. Um, uh, only two players shifted out. Um, only one of those voluntarily shifted out in that Ander Herrera was a player that uh, Solskjaer would like to have retained in the squad but uh, chose to go elsewhere because of the, the, the low-level offer uh, Manchester United made to him to take a pay cut to, to stay at the club. So that there's a lot of work to be done in that, that squad yet. So he's, he's gone out to Australia with players who are definitely expecting to leave, some of whom who want to leave, uh, made it quite clear they want to leave, such as Romelu Lukaku uh, and Paul Pogba. Um, a goalkeeper and his best player who has yet to sign a new contract uh, and has been dissatisfied with his treatment at Manchester United. Uh, and other players are unsure of their future. Um, can tell you that uh, there's been an offer from Internazionale for uh, Nemanja Matic, um, which is quite an amusingly low offer of uh, 10 million euros plus um, the uh, interplayer Nangalan, um, who's in his 30s. Um, so quite an um, ambitious offer, I think, from Inter to see if they could, uh, could get Matic out of the club that way. Uh, Milan are also interested in the player. I don't believe they've made a, a formal offer to Manchester United at this stage, although Milan are, are possibly in a better position in that they've taken a, their financial fair play punishment are out of Europe and therefore can afford uh, from a financial fair play perspective to put a higher transfer fee down. Uh, as we've told you before, Inter have to be careful in, in terms of how much they spend on transfers in this particular summer. Um, to avoid uh, future financial fair play issues of their own. Um, and Matic, while he's not, I'm told, will, he will not push for that move, he will not 
go um, down the Paul Pogba route, which should come as no surprise to anyone who knows uh, Nemanja Matic as an individual, would be open to he would be open to speaking to both of those clubs if a, a deal can be agreed with Manchester United in the sense that um, each of them would have to offer him at least the same financial terms as he is being paid at Manchester United, it would be a longer-term contract. So in terms of his long-term security for himself and to look after his, his family, um, the possibility of have a, having a, an extended deal and moving to Syria, uh, um, living in Milan, is not unattractive to him. But I'm told not actively pushing to leave. He'll leave. He will leave that decision to Manchester United to make. If they get an offer that accept, that's acceptable to them, he's prepared to... Um, to move to Italy. Now, Duncan, we find obviously, um, and I, I do believe that Manchester United fans, as, as uh, you know, a group, <clears throat> are, are, are intelligent and they're also realistic and pragmatic about their club. They choose to protest against the Glazers or Woodward or whoever when they feel that the club is being undermined by certain policies that have been introduced or are pursued. Um, and certainly the ones, that, and I mean the Manchester United fans that we engage with um, as part of the podcast, um, I find to be uh, very reasonable. Um, they ask very um, intuitive and very, I think, um, serious questions about the future of the club. Now, I think what exists outside, though, of Manchester United fans is, uh, I think, uh, I don't know, a perception that somehow Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to perform some kind of miracle uh, in the coming season without actually having had the player um, renewal uh, and by that I mean obviously new players coming in not renewal of contracts and squad reconstruction that he clearly feels he needs and that's not happened yet and we are running down the transfer window down now I think we're 30 days before it closes um, and still no sign of Manchester United making the kind of signing that will excite those United fans and make them believe that not only is Solskjaer valued and that the, the club want him to succeed, but that the club itself is moving forward. What's the reason for that? It just seems you know, unbelievable almost that a club with such resources and obviously with its tradition and history and everything else um, is not able to move in the transfer market the way that be expected or indeed the way that the manager expects well it's no secret that um, that the Glazers are very cash conscious um, and while a lot of money has been spent on transfer fees um, in the, the years since Edward became uh, executive vice chairman of the club and records have been broken on, on multiple occasions there there has been a limit to that spending, and um, the, the the basic strategy is to retain a certain degree of profits each season, so that the Glazer family can take a certain amount of and a significant amount of cash out of the club each season. And uh, and the books look nice um, for uh, stock exchange announcements because part of the club's share capital is on uh, the New York. Stock exchange. So you're looking at a summer in which um, Manchester United's ultimate budget will be determined by what happens to three of their most uh, of their best paid players, and David De Gea, um, whether he can uh, find 
another club to go to if he decides not to sign a new contract. Romelu Lukaku, who wants to leave and who Solskjaer has uh, made um, surplus to requirements in the sense that he's not going to be the first choice centre forward and Lukaku is not happy with that situation, understandably. Um, and they have an obvious buyer in Inter um, whose new manager wants Lukaku and has prioritised him. But there is a, a big debate, as, as there usually is in these situations, over what the fees should be and, and how the fees should be paid. And then Paul Pogba, the, the, the most expensive player on their squad, who has made it quite clear he wants to leave. And again, there is a big debate with Real Madrid about what the price should be uh, and, and how that should be structured. So say you exclude De Gea, who, whose transfer fee would be the least of, of those three from, from the equation, you're talking about at least 200 million euros of, uh, of cash dependent on those two sales. Um, and if United are to spend that money ahead of, of, of bringing it in, it would certainly weaken their negotiating position with Madrid and Inter and any other suitors who came into the equation um, because Madrid and Inter would be able to say, well, you, you've, uh, you've already bought, you need money. Um, we're not, we know you need to sell now, so we're not going to offer you quite as much. Knowing also that um, they have the advantage of the later transfer windows to work with, uh, in Italy's case, um, going into September um, before they have to complete deals. Um, Manchester United have to have everything done inside the next month in terms of incoming players. So um, at some point, they're going to have to make a decision. Do we expect uh, Pogba to go? Um, which they probably do at this stage. And we've told you they're ready to cash in on the player. Do we expect that deal to be done? Um, if we do, then we need to buy replacements. Uh, they're already down Herrera, so they need, uh, they need someone new in midfield to start with. Solskjaer wasn't happy with his midfield, even on the assumption that he was going to retain Herrera and Pogba. He wanted uh, new players in there. So, so work has to be done. I think you're, you're, you're right to, to highlight um, the way Manchester United supporters um, look at this situation. I think they are um, very educated and, and pragmatic about it. Uh, and I don't think they're going to go quietly. We've talked about the Glazers Out um, protest that was trending worldwide and on Twitter earlier this summer. Um, I believe that is, is going to be reignited um, before too long. Um, and I think uh, a lot of the, the, the protest will be around um, the actions in the transfer market, the lack of support uh, for the manager, which they've seen uh, last summer when uh, the, the previous manager made it clear that he needed a, a top-class centre-back to come in to give the team a chance to, to meet its sporting objectives. The board refused to sanction that, um, briefed, the press as to why uh, they hadn't sanctioned it, talked about uh, in that briefing how they'd be prepared to, how they tried to sign Rafael Varane over a, over a coffee meeting in America and had been shocked when uh, Florentino Perez had, had turned down their offer, how they'd be prepared to pay over $100 million for the player. And there's been briefings about bringing a director of football in. There's no director of football there. This transfer market is being conducted by Ed Woodward as previous transfer markets have been. Manchester United support are not happy about that. They don't see 
significant changes. Uh, they see one common denominator, which uh, which are the owners, and owners who have taken um, by uh, one report over a billion out of the club um, at the same time as across city rivals have had well over a billion put into the club uh, by Abu Dhabi and sit atop uh, the Premier League, having won it two years running and, and having just won a domestic treble. It's, um, it's, not, it's no surprise they're protesting. Um, and what will be interesting is to see how Ed Woodward um, and the Glazers respond to that um, if it intensifies to a level where it... Um, yeah, we've been here before with the Green and Gold protests. Uh, they went away because results improved on the pitch. This time, it's quite hard to see results um, clearing that uh, that protest and that dis- dissatisfaction away. I, I agree with you on, on those points, Duncan. I, I, and I'm going to stick my neck out. And I think uh, my expectation is, and uh, born from some information as well, although um, you can understand that at this moment in time, I can't confirm it because what I've been told is that until United find a marquee-type player replacement for Pogba, then they won't concede to selling Pogba um, to another club uh, because there's a realisation. And of course, we've spoken at length, obviously, in um, other episodes of the Transfer Window podcast about Edward's obsession with um, social media and um, Facebook followers, etc., etc. So... As I said, I, my expectation is that until they find a replacement, if that's possible, I'll say replacement, what I mean is a superstar signing, then Pogba will be held to his contract to Manchester United um, until they find that replacement because obviously they can reinvest the money. Uh, so that remains to be seen with regards to how that works out because, as we all know, the market is very uh, fluctuating and volatile and... Um, I would say right now, um, the two players who are obvious candidates for that, but I doubt very much we want to join Manchester United, are Neymar and Antoine Griezmann. Both of them are wanted by Barcelona, and both of them want to go to Barcelona. So um, I would say that at the moment, uh, the situation for Manchester United is not great, um, but it's one which, as I said, it will change each day. Um, however, uh, if I were Paul Pogba, I'd be kind of checking my... Uh, alerts on my social media and on my news feeds to see if Manchester United are bidding for other players before I would start to think about buying a house in Madrid. It being Wednesday, it being the Questions Answered podcast, we also bring you the nominations for the Donkey Awards, of course, highly prestigious, as we all know, and uh, those of who have received them have been telling us that uh, they prize them much more than they do um, the Ballon d'Or or the World Cup medals. It's just amazing what a man with a bald head on top of a plinth can do, apparently, for your self-esteem. So um, in this uh, particular episode of the Donkeys, we cannot ignore the situation, of course, that has developed between Neymar and Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, a situation which Duncan has been reporting on uh, way before anyone else with regards to the club's willingness to sell. And of course, Leonardo, the sport director's uh, comments on the record saying, if there is an offer that is acceptable, then we will consider it. And so the donkeys this week will be 
the Neymar Award for the most acrimonious divorce in football. And Duncan, I am going to um, open the uh, golden envelope and give you the nominations for you then to decide who deserves the award. Hang on. There we go. The envelope is now open. And I give you this, Duncan. Marco Silva and Watford. I think there's an acrimonious split there, which was characterised by the fact that Watford sacked their manager um, for his flirtation, indeed, with a certain club in the North West, who he then married. And uh, Watford then paid alimony, as I remember, or certainly some kind of settlement. So that was an interesting one. Now, this is a very interesting one, which uh, goes a little bit historical, but you'll see why um, we, we've, we've got this nomination. Stephen Gerrard, who flirted with both Real Madrid, but specifically with Chelsea in 2005, when Jose Mourinho tried to charm Stevie away from Anfield to Stamford Bridge and indeed ended up in his transfer request by the Liverpool captain, um, only to find... I think the public protests against the potential move uh, made him decide that the acrimony was not worth it. And the third nomination is um, Neymar Jr.'s dad, Neymar Sr., um, who has been the unregistered divorce lawyer uh, for his son in the very acrimony split from Barcelona two years ago. A man who likes to um, wait around for um, uh, compensation to be paid, or not compensations, I should say bonuses, uh, for his son's signing for Barcelona and loyalty before moving to Paris Saint-Germain. Um, and Nepai is his name, but Morpai, as the Kaiser Ducks John McFarlane calls him, um, is our third nomination in this particular Donkey Award procession. Um, Duncan, what's your thoughts on the candidates and who would you choose as your winner? Um, excellent set of candidates. Uh, you cannot forget Stephen Gerrard having his shirt Burned um, his Liverpool shirt, burned by the the loyal loyal Liverpool fans at the very thought of him leaving um, Rafa Benitez for the uh, the charms of Jose Mourinho and Chelsea. But that can't win because in the end he decided to stay and uh, and was rewarded with no league titles in his um, his long and illustrious career. Um, so not a divorce. I think Marco Silva is a, a great shout. We have um, the manager flirting with a, a more attractive um, wife, uh, being kept to his marriage by Watford uh, initially, then refusing uh, even uh, offers of money from, from Everton for Marco Silva to leave, then being so upset with him when he stayed because he was uh, grumping around the house that they sacked him. Uh, and then managed to take money to Watford's great credit off Everton in compensation for a, for a manager they sacked, which is something I haven't seen before in football. But the winner definitely has to be Nepai here, um, who has managed to have an acrimonious divorce in every one of his son's move and, and, and has another one ongoing. Um, left Santos uh, with... Uh, a big fight in Brazil over third-party ownership and who should be paid in massive tax cases, um, embarrassed Barcelona in the way they did the deal, um, various public statements had to be made uh, by Barcelona down the line about it, obviously the transfer to Paris Saint-Germain, 
more huge fights. Um, Barcelona vice president saying there no way would the player be leaving the club. He did, of course, leave the club. Um, and then starting a new, agitating for a new divorce almost as soon as he got there, which we should see happen this summer. Should. Um, if it doesn't, it's going to be interesting uh, how Neymar... Uh, will set himself up in Paris Saint-Germain after the words that have been said um, this summer so far. But um, yeah, I think that one definitely goes to Neymar Senior uh, and uh, we can have Johnny McFarlane over to present him with his award and uh, and a big plate of Edinburgh pie because that's uh, McFarlane's favourite. I have uh, just bought Johnny McFarlane's ticket to Paris so that he can present the award personally to uh, the man known as More Pie because he always likes to get his crust. Uh, the same as uh, Mino, who always likes to get his slice. So Johnny McFarlane, the man who used to be central to the Transfer Window podcast and still, still is making the headlines with us in terms of the Donkey Awards. Always but, in our hearts. Always in, always, the, always, in the always. of our hearts. Uh, and he's always in his stomach. Uh, or at least more pious. So that brings to an end this particular edition of the Transfer Window podcast. Uh, we'd like to continue the debate as we've been doing today, of course, and your questions answered. Um, on Twitter, please contact us at Transfer Podcast, Duncan's at Duncan Castles, and I'm at Garbo SJ. And we will continue to have that particular debate. If you like what you've heard, and we know you all do, please give something back and get onto iTunes, give us a five star rating. We can expand the audience, expand the debate as well which, of course, makes it all the more interesting for you guys out there. We will be back on Friday. Uh, We will see you through the transfer window then. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. (laughs) 